We're in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, and the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I want to ask you just a very simple question this morning, and I want you to think about it, maybe jot it in your notes today, and consider this. And I want to just ask this morning, what are your fears? What is it this morning that you're afraid of? What is it that causes you to stay up late at night? What causes you to make foolish decisions? What causes you to struggle in this life? And what is it that you're so afraid of? The reality is, is you know, we all have them. We all have fears and we often face them. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm afraid or anxious or worried or concerned, I tend to respond to life in some really unspiritual ways, some unhealthy, you know, I think we don't have the kids anymore, so I can sit in the room, uh, the littles in here anymore, but sometimes, isn't it true that when you're afraid, you just do dumb things, you do stupid things, right? Amen? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. And some of you are like, no, I ain't stupid, like, you might be, but that's... That's not me, right? I may have shared this story before, and if you, if you remember this, please forgive me. But I, I think that sometimes the way we respond to life in fear is illustrated like this. When I was a, when I was a little bit younger, my brother's 16 years older than I am, and, and I don't know why, but my mom let him take me hunting uh, in Alabama. We lived in Florida, and we drove several hours away. We went up to Alabama to go hunting. And I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, and... Uh, I don't know if I got parent issues or what, but, you know, the first day my brother and I, we go hunting, and he and I sit in a tree stand together, and, and everything's okay. I've got a 30-06, and I'm sitting there uh, with him, and I, I felt safe in doing that. Well, the next day, he puts me uh, in an area to go hunting, and he, he leaves me there. He says, listen, you're going to sit here, you're going to be still, and you're going to be quiet. If you see a deer, take his life, right? That's what you're supposed to do when you go hunting, right? And he goes, when it gets dark, all right? Just, you know, as, as, as night begins to set, you might see a deer. That's typically when they come out. And so you got to sit and wait until it's pitch black dark. When it's pitch black dark, I want you to take the service road and walk all the way out to the road, right? So here I am, 11, 12, 13 years old. I wasn't quite 13. I know that. I'm sitting in this, in the woods in Alabama, all by myself with a rifle, right? It's great parenting, right? And the sun starts to go down. And it starts to get dark. And as a child, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, I think my brother loves me. I really don't think he'd leave me here forever. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, like, I started freaking out. I bet you he's going to leave me here. And all I have is this rifle. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? Who's going to care for me? Where am I going to live? All these cra- You're laughing, but you've done the same thing in some form or fashion as well. All these crazy thoughts started to go into my mind and started, I was just, I mean, just out of control. Like the train left the station and I got on crazy train, went to crazy town and they elected me mayor, right? <laughs> That's how crazy those thoughts were, even though I was a child. So in my mind, I thought, well, what should I do? So I, it wasn't dark yet. 
And I knew that it was going to get dark, and so I took the rifle, put it on my shoulder, walked out to the service road, and I just started to yell as loud as I could, because I didn't call my brother Tom, I just called him brother. So I yelled out, brother! Brother! Well, he couldn't hear me. So I just started letting off rounds. (laughs) And all of a sudden, in his pickup truck, he came running down the road. Are you okay? Yeah, man, I just want to make sure you're coming back to get me. (laughs) He lost his mind, as you can imagine. Here's the point. It's not that so much that fears are sinful. We all have fears. We have anxieties. We have concerns. We we have anxiety about a lot of different things, and it's not so much that those things are sinful in and of themselves. It's what we do with those fears. And the reality is, is oftentimes we end up doing really dumb things. We do sinful things, and we do things that are very, very unhealthy when it comes to how we navigate life. And I wonder this morning, this is why, this is why as a pastor I'm concerned about our life. This is why I'm concerned about the apathy or the cavalier attitude that we often have towards the Word of God and towards our relationship to God. Because in many ways, I wonder if our relationship to God is, is transforming. And I, and I want you to just kind of just breathe on that for a minute, just sit in that moment for a minute. But is your relationship to God personally a relationship that's transforming you? It's changing you. Are you the same person that you were a month ago or a year ago or two years ago? Is, 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 is your walk with God and, and what you know about God and who He is and what He can do, is that transforming you? Is that growing your faith? Is, is your relationship to God moving you from a place of fear to a place of faith? And, and what Isaiah is showing you and me is this, and please note this today, write it down, you are not alone. That's the whole thing about the story of Christmas. That's what Advent is all about, that Jesus Christ would be Emmanuel, God with us. So in our fears, in our struggles, in our doubts, in our uncertainties, we find we have a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. So here's what I want to ask you today is, are you living in the reality of the truth? Are you living in the reality that that we have a wonderful counselor? Are you living in the reality that we have a mighty God? Is your attitude and your faith a reflection of the power and the might of God? All cards on the table. I struggle not to take matters in my own hands. I've been doing this thing since I was a kid. I get afraid. I take control. I do something stupid or even sinful. We do this. I struggle with this. I struggle to trust God and trust that He is powerful enough to deliver me from the difficulties I face. When I get afraid, when I get anxious, I tend to self-sabotage. I make unwise choices. Some of the worst decisions in my life, hands down, some of the worst decisions in my life and spiritually are made from a place of fear. Think about that for a minute. Have some of the worst decisions that you've ever made been made from a place of fear? from a place of anxiety, from a place of, you know what, God's not dealing with this thing. I'm going to take care of it. When we think about Advent, we think about waiting. We think about hoping. We think about resting in the plan and the purposes of God. But you can't can't rest in the plan and purposes of God when you take matters in your own hands and you allow fear to dominate your moment rather than putting your faith in the Word and the ways of God. 
This morning, I believe that we're reminded in this text that God is mighty. I imagine many of you struggle with this. You see, we believe in the gospel. We believe in Jesus Christ. Can I say, can we say amen to that? We believe in this stuff. But for many of us, it lacks a practicality. It's almost like the rubber hasn't met the road. Do we really believe that God is powerful enough? Do we believe that He is mighty? Let me ask you this. Are you convinced this morning that God is here? Are you convinced that that God is present in this moment? That God is real? That God is alive? That He came back from the dead with the keys to death, hell, and the grave? And that He can save to the othermost? Because if you believe that he's here and if you believe that he's powerful, if you believe that that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to down a cross 2,000 years ago, it kind of changes how you view life. It kind of changes how you worship. It kind of changes how you look at your situation, how you you face your fears. It changes things. So do you really believe this stuff? Now here's the idea this morning. When we have fears... We can face them with Almighty God. You're not alone in this thing. You're not alone. Now the Bible, the good news is the Bible, in the Bible there were some people that struggled with waiting on God. This isn't something that's uncommon. I mean, the, the, the most, the most uh, phrased commandment in the Bible is do not be afraid. Over 480 times God tells His people, tells you and me, don't be afraid. The good news is there are people in the Bible that struggled with waiting on God, believing that he was powerful enough to deliver. And in the book of Isaiah, we see that there was a prophet that reminded God's people of his power and the promise of one who was coming that was mighty. And I don't know about you, but, but I believe there are some, some of us here today that need to be reminded that God is mighty. If you need to be reminded of that today, say amen. Well, one or two of us, I'm, I'm in that. Say amen if you need to hear that God is mighty today. Say amen. I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of that. I might know that, but I may not live in that reality. I may not live in that truth, and it may not practically play itself out in my faith. So when we're struggling to, con- to continue on, not cave in or even compromise, the Scriptures give us hope. And it begins in Isaiah 9-6 with this, this dependable description of who God is, a dependable description. I think it's important for us to keep in mind the Lord could have used an infinite number of concepts that he could have communicated about the coming promise of his son. But in this text, God chose four descriptions to describe who and what Jesus would be and what his ministry would look like. He was a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He's the everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace. He used four specific concepts to describe the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. One of them in our text today has to do with his power. Now think with me for just a moment about how the word, the word mighty is used in other places of the Bible. Just to give us a description of of what it means that we have as a mighty God. Number one, other uses of the word mighty, one one use of that is outstanding bravery. We see that in 1 Samuel 17.51, the Bible says, When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the word bravery is translated as champion in this verse, someone of outstanding bravery. And this morning, when we look at God being mighty Savior, what we're saying is God is a champion and he stands above all the others, right? But it also means uncommon faithfulness. 
In 1 Chronicles 29, 24, the Bible says all the leaders and the mighty men and also the sons of King David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. Now, if you've ever studied the Bible, you know that King David had this small group of guys. It was, for a lack of better terms, and maybe to use the vernacular of the day, David had a posse, right? And these guys would go to the gates of hell to defend David and to roll with David. They were like his ride or die. He had a small group of men who were especially loyal, especially skilled, powerful, and faithful. They were the ones that he would rely on when everything was on the line. But another use of the word is this, heroic power. In Psalm 89.8, the Bible says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. But it's also used not just for for his outstanding bravery, uncommon faithfulness, or heroic power. It's also used for his vast justice. Whenever we see the word mighty used in the Bible, it's also used in terms of justice. In Psalm 89, verses 13 and 14, it says, You have a mighty arm. Our God has a mighty arm. It reminds me, and please don't judge me. I know some of you used to watch the WWF before it was the WWE, right? Many of you remember Hulk Hogan. And he talked about his 94-inch pythons, meaning his arms. And when I, when I read this passage of Scripture, I think about that. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Now, you might say, could a person have power without justice? Yes. But that'd be scandalous in God's eyes. So the word mighty is actually incredibly significant. You see, in the Bible, mighty isn't simply used to speak of raw power. That's not what we're talking about today. Our God is a mighty God, but it's a power that it's used well. Therefore, the power of God, the power that Jesus has, is a power that's uncommon. It's a power that's extraordinary. The word that's used for the word mighty God in this text, it's, it's actually reserved for the champion. It's reserved Are you with me this morning? It's reserved for the champion. It's reserved for the hero. It's reserved for the mighty men of valor. But but also when used positively of the person who exercises power in a way that is just, compassionate, and wise. See, God wanted his people to know that the day was coming. Listen to this. God wanted his people in this text. And he wants you and me to know that the day was coming when a child would be born a son would be given, and the government would be on his shoulders. And this Messiah, this son, Jesus Christ, he would be mighty. He would be our mighty God. Amen? Amen. So we see first and foremost in our text today a dependable description. But I also want you to notice secondly this morning, not just the description of our mighty God, I want you to understand a little bit about the text. I want you to know what's going on in Isaiah, and specifically in Isaiah chapter 9. I want you to see, secondly, this morning, the challenging choice. And really, this is the choice that all of us face at some time in our life. Every one of us is faced with challenging choices. We're faced with challenging situations. And here's the choice. Please note this today. Where will I put my trust? That's it. Where am I going to put my trust? Where am I going to place my faith? And and many of us are faced with this choice, and, and even though it's fearful, and even though it's a struggle, and even though our choices sometimes cause us a bit of anxiety, listen, it was no different for Isaiah and the people in his day. 
Now, the background of the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 9, it's actually a, a kind of a complicated story. But I want to give you the short cliff note version of that, if you'll allow me. We mentioned this last week. Isaiah ministered during the reign of four different kings. Chapters 7 through 9 were written during the rule uh, of, a, of a king by the name of King Ahaz. And that was around 735 B.C. Now, I know this might take a minute, but it's an important point that we can learn from. You see, at this time in history, the nation of Israel is divided. There was the northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. Isaiah's ministry, his ministry thrust, his ministry emphasis was primarily to the southern kingdom. That was where King Ahaz was. Now, here's the problem. The northern kingdom, they made an alliance with two pagan nations, and they started to mix pagan worship with their worship of God. And what they did was they tried to, they tried to pressure Ahaz. Hey, hey, Ahaz, why don't you and the southern kingdom come along with us and make an alliance and in so doing begin to worship the way that we worship? Now, the good news is this. Ahaz didn't do that. Part of Isaiah's ministry was to explain to Ahaz that this other alliance was not going to prosper. In fact, the northern kingdom, they were trusting in their own might, they were trusting in their own power, and that it would fail if Ahaz aligned himself with this pagan nation, with these pagan people, mixing up their worship of the one true God. And, and Ahaz needed Isaiah. He needed this man to come alongside of him and coach him up. He needed him to come in and speak faith in him and say, hey, listen, Ahaz, this is the path. This is the way to go. This is the choice to make. Listen, man, you can trust God. Believe in him. See, Ahaz was a bit scared. He had his own fears. But here's the, here's the crazy thing about Ahaz. He didn't make the alliance with the northern kingdom. But out of fear, you know what he did? He turned around and he made his own alliance with an even worse nation, the nation of Assyria. A clear example of a lack of trust, wrongful compromise, and disobedience. And what we see in this text is the king's choice. And it reminds us of verses like Jeremiah chapter 9. Read this passage with me. I think it'll be on uh, behind me. It may or may not be. Jeremiah chapter 9, 23 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands, listen, underline that, that he understands and he knows me. That's where our hope is found. That's where we put our trust. That's where we find deliverance in understanding and knowing who God is. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, Ahaz chose to trust his own wisdom. He chose to trust his own ability to get out of a jam, even though if he had to compromise everything, he said he believed by making an alliance with the Assyrians. Here's the point. Our fears often cause us to make foolish decisions that go against what we believe. Are you guys with me today? Say amen. And so here we find in this text that, that King Ahaz had two choices. Trust God or trust in himself. 
And, and here's the thing, for you this morning, am I going to trust in the power of God, even though I might not be able to see how this thing's going to work out? Isn't that the hard thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ? We put our trust in God. We put our trust in His Word. We wait on Him. We hope in Him. We believe in Him. But so often we do so not knowing how things are going to turn out. Am I going to trust? Or am I going to ignore God's Word and try to figure this thing out myself? Psalm 147, 10 and 11 says this, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who who hope in His steadfast love. It's in this setting that God directs His prophet to tell of a coming day when there will be a perfect king. Listen, could you imagine the children of Israel in the southern kingdom? They see their king deny one alliance, which is like, yay! And then he makes an even worse alliance, and they're like, whoa, and so here it is. They put their hope in their king. They put their hope in their, in their nation. And it's in this setting that God directs his prophet to tell of a coming day when there will be a perfect king who won't cave, who won't take shortcuts, and who won't compromise the wills and ways of God. And he would be a mighty God. Can I get an amen today, right? Salvation will not come from the state legislator. Salvation will not come from the next president or the White House or our government. Salvation and deliverance and hope and faith come from Almighty God. Amen? That's where we find our hope today. And they needed to hear that so they could make up their minds about who they would trust and follow. And there was somebody else who needed it, not just a king. But think about Isaiah himself. If you study this book at all, you know Isaiah chapter 6. It's the chapter of, of God's holiness. Isaiah has a personal interaction with God himself, and he gets this great vision of God where he gets a glimpse of the holiness and the majesty of God. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter, uh, chapter 6, you see in, 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 in verses uh, number 5, Isaiah comes face to face with God, and he says, woe is me. He comes face to face with Almighty God. And I wonder, have we lost our awe of the holiness and the transcendence and the power of Almighty God? There's two angels in the throne room, and, 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 and they've got six wings, two that are helping them fly, two that are covering their face. Even the angels can't look on the glory and the transcendence of God. And Isaiah gets a picture of the throne room of God, and he says in verse number five, Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. And then in verses 6 and 7, we see that a coal is taken and he, he touches the lips of Isaiah and there's forgiveness and cleansing. And then in verse 8, we see that that's followed up by a coal. But here's the amazing thing. If you know anything about the life of Isaiah and you survey the verses after his call, here's what God says to Isaiah. Your ministry is going to be difficult. Your life is going to be hard, and you're going to bear little fruit in the ministry that I'm going to call you to. Even though Isaiah is one of the most quoted books in the Old Testament, it's quoted more often and more directly in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. During his life and his ministry, Isaiah's life was especially difficult. So guess what decision that Isaiah had to make? It was the same decision as Ahaz. He had to decide, would he trust in his own power? Would he cave? Would he compromise? Or would he take the easy way out? And for Isaiah, the answer is absolutely not. Why? 
in part because he believed in what God said. Someday, someday, sometime soon, there'd be a mighty Savior and there would be a mighty God. So we see this dependable description. We see this challenging choice. But I want you to see next the sovereign Savior. What did we actually get in this mighty God? What, is it, what does it look like? You see, hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ actually did show up on the scene. He was born to a virgin named Mary, and, and, and the prophecy was fulfilled in Christ. What kind of power are we talking about this morning when we talk about a mighty Savior and a mighty God? What, are, what is it that we're, we're trying to describe this morning? And, and how, did the, how did the mighty power of God manifest itself and display itself in the life of Jesus Christ? Let me give this to you real quick. First of all, we see that Jesus Christ himself, he had the power to withstand temptation. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he, the devil himself, and he said to him, I'll give you all this authority and all the glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. Jesus Christ turned down temptation. He stood in the face of Satan himself, and he, and he turned his back on that, and he says, No, there's a better way. But not only that, Jesus Christ himself had the power to heal. In, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 7, the Bible says, And he rose and he went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had, given, who, had, who had given such authority to men. You know that Jesus Christ in his life, he was able to heal the deaf, the dumb, and the blind? Jesus Christ did that. I mean, the, 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 he, he gave their sight back. Jesus Christ. Can I, someone with me today say amen? amen. I mean, this is our God. He had the power to withstand temptation. He had the power to heal. He had the power to do good. In Acts chapter 10, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He had the power to teach with authority. In Luke 4.32, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. One of my favorites is he had the power to forgive. In Mark chapter 2, verses 10, he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He had the power to voluntarily die for our sins. In John chapter 10, it says, No one takes it from me. Do you know Jesus Christ didn't die as a martyr for a cause? No one took the life of Jesus. Jesus Christ laid his life down of his own volition. Amen? He wasn't a martyr for a just cause. He was the Savior of the world. And he, in his own volition, of his own choice, and in his own power, voluntarily died for our sins. He says, no one takes it from me. I'll lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. And then he had the power. And then, If you don't say amen to this, I don't know where your face at this morning. He had the power to come back from the dead. Amen. Amen? But from now on, the Son of Man, Luke twenty two sixty nine, 69, shall be seated at the right hand of God. Right now in this moment, Jesus Christ, the King of the ages, is sitting at the right hand of our God today. And then he had the power, and he does have the power to build his church. Southgate, our future is as bright as the promises of God. Jesus said to Peter, he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, we have a powerful, mighty God today, amen? And he is here. 
So would it be fair to say that the testimony of the Scriptures is that Jesus Christ demonstrated Himself to be the mighty God that Isaiah prophesied about hundreds of years earlier? And so here, here's the message today. Here's today's question for you and for me. How mighty is your God? Your God. Not your spouses, not your kids, not your parents, not your Sunday school teacher, not someone you look up to in the church. How mighty is your God today? Let me ask you this morning. There's some folks here today, and I would imagine that there are some people in this audience today that have never put their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, how mighty is your God? And let me ask you this, do you have a powerful Savior? Do you have Him? You see, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, it says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, for some of you this morning, it just sounds absurd that we put our faith and trust in a man that lived 2,000 years ago. It just seems absurd. Like, really? You want me to believe that Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin 2,000 years ago? He died on a cross and... Three days later, he came back from the dead. Hey, man, that's not even the absurd part of the story, right? <laughs> I mean, there's so much stuff that Jesus Christ did and does and will do that just blows our minds. And if you're asking me this morning, if I'm putting my faith and my hope in that, you better believe it. All my eggs are in that basket, amen? That's what I'm trusting in today. Because one day, sooner than I think and sooner than I know, I'll find myself on the other side of eternity. And the most important thing that any person can know is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And not only that, but do you have a powerful, life-transforming relationship with Him? You see, some people like to play the game. They come to church and they bring their Bible and they throw a little bit of money in the plate and they may even serve and, and they may even know the lingo and speak the Christianese and know the right things to say and when to sit down and when to stand up and when to raise their hands because we're a kind of a Baptist church around here, right? Amen? And you know, you're all in. Like, you're playing the game. But your life isn't any different. You, you don't have any hope. You're sad and discouraged and frustrated and angry. And, and the same feelings that a world without Christ has about their situation are the same feelings and struggles that you're having. You see, the reality is, is that the Bible says the, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know what the difference between myself and those that are without a relationship with Jesus Christ is I have hope. I have hope that one day God is coming again, and that's why we wait. That's the purpose of Advent. I have hope that one day, sooner than I think, I may slip out into eternity, or maybe the trumpet sounds, and we'll meet him in the air. Amen? Amen? Come on. That's the hope. And he's going to make all things new, and he's going to reconcile all things to himself. So do you have a powerful Savior? And then, you know, lastly, I think it's fitting to ask this question, is do you have a powerful hope? Do you have a a powerful Savior, but do you have a powerful hope? Listen, Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Some of you lack some hope today. Some of you need hope. And some of you, your life isn't being transformed by the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And when I say some of you, you know what I'm saying? Me. There are times where I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. There are other times I find myself being very negative. There, there are times where I, where I find myself not trusting God and making foolish decisions and struggling with sin and sabotaging my life simply because my hope is not in the mighty God that we talked about this morning. 
May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. Some of you are walking around like you've been sucking on lemons for the last decade. You're just mad all the time. And there isn't hope, and there isn't joy, and there isn't peace, and a lost world is looking to us. And they're, they're, they're screaming for answers, and Christians are stuttering because this truth is not transforming our life. And so what are we offering them? More of the same? But man, when you come into a contact with a person whose life has been transformed by the truth of the gospel, and they have a real, authentic, dynamic relationship with the mighty God, our mighty Savior, their life is filled with joy and peace and purpose and hope. And some of us need to have a renewed hope this morning so that the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may abound in hope. Here, here's, here, this is it. Fear can make you do stupid things. That's my story. That's my story. Fear has made me do some really, really dumb things. And that might be your story. And it's certainly the story of so many in the Word of God. But we have hope this morning because there is a God who loves us enough to send a mighty Savior, a hero, a champion to deliver us and show us unending mercy. No matter how dark, difficult, depressed, and discouraged you are today, God is mighty. And if you come to Him, He will will be your strength in your weakest moment. And He can be your strength in the moment that you are most afraid. And so this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. This morning, I'm I'm going to ask our staff to come to the altar today. And they're going to be kind of spread out around the altar this morning. And some of you are struggling with hope. Some of you are struggling with fear and depression and anxiety. Some of you are struggling with sin. Some of you are struggling just to believe in God. And you know what we want to do with you and for you today? We don't take up the entire day. We want to pray over you. We want to put our hands on you. And and we want to hold your hands. And we want to cry with you. And we want to rejoice with you. And we want to love on you. And we want to speak faith into you. And we want to encourage you to have hope in God. And so in just a few moments, Derek, if you guys will go ahead and start coming, our band is going to begin to play some music. And this morning, you might be struggling with something, trusting God to make the right decision. And if you want, we want to pray with you. So please come. Please come and let us ask God to be mighty in your life. Because you know what? He's here with us today. He's here. So could I have you bow your heads just for a moment? How many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I know certainly that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I know that if I were to slip out into eternity today, I know that heaven is my home. And I know that I know that I know this for sure. Would you lift your hand and let me see that as a way of testimony today? Amen. Now some of you are in here today and it's totally fine. Some of you are like, man, I don't know. I don't know that I'm right with God. I don't know that I'm forgiven of my sins. I don't know if I were to slip out into eternity today. I don't know that heaven is my home. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? I, I, don't, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just want to pray over you and pray with you today. Maybe you'd just like to know more about that. Would you lift your hand and let me pray with you today about that decision? Yes, sir, I see your hand. Anyone else? Now, how many of you say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm struggling with putting my hope and faith in Christ. I've got some fears. I've got some struggles. And it's caused me to do some really dumb things and hurt people at times. I, I, I want to live in the reality of this truth. I want this thing to be practical in my life. Would you lift your hand and let me pray over you this morning? How many of you admit that today? Yes, 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 yes. Man, 
into all of the room. Let's all stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we love you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, God, that you loved us enough to send your only son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we have uh, an, 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 an unwavering hope. We thank you, God, for the sufficiency of your word, the trustworthiness of your word. And Father, today I pray as the pastor of Southgate that there are many in this room today that I imagine are struggling with fears and, and, and uncertainty and, and, and anxiety and, and maybe even struggling with sin today. God, I just pray that we would get honest with you today. I pray that we'd stop going through the motions and being apathetic and cavalier and, and, and flippant in our relationship with you. And Father, I pray that we'd find a way to put our faith in you, to put our trust in you, to walk with you, even when it's hard, even when it's discouraging, even when there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Oh God, that we would be a people of faith filled with hope, joy, and peace. God, we ask these things, begging you that you would speak to us today, that you would move in us today, that you would encourage us today. We ask them all in the name of your wonderful son, Jesus. Amen. Church, Derek's going to sing on this first note. Our staff is going to spread out around the altar today. Now look, if you don't want to come pray with us and you want to go directly to the altar, that's fine too. We're not trying to be all up in your business or anything like that. We just want to pray with you. We want to love on you today. And we want to encourage you with these prayers. We could be a help to you. We could be a blessing to you anyway. Please let us know. But Derek, let's sing this song. Church, if you want to come and respond and worship to God, we want to invite you to do that today, right now.